Back in the late 1980s, a punk pop crossover band stormed the UK music charts. Following the massive success of the single I Want Your Love, Transvision Vamp's second album Velveteen went straight to number one in the album chart, with four singles from the record hitting the top 20. The lead singer and focal point of the group was today's special guest, Wendy James. Wendy was renowned for her straight-talking and rebellious attitude and for her sexually charged performances. Both attracted a great deal of media attention, with her criticism of the likes of Kylie Minogue coupled with almost topless photo shoots in the Face and Select magazines. Wendy was perhaps the late 80s equivalent of Miley Cyrus, using her stunning good looks and her bold personality to achieve notoriety and drive record sales. After Transvision Vamp disbanded in 1992, Wendy went on to release six further albums. In 2016, she hit the media again when, age 50, she appeared topless on the cover of her new record, The Price of the Ticket. And in May this year, she returned with the follow-up record, Queen High Straight, which was released in the middle of lockdown. I asked her what the impact of the pandemic had been on this release. I had offered to my fans the fact that uh, all of the albums, CDs and uh, vinyl would be signed by me. And so that's a hell of a lot of shipping. And what we had to do was firstly get test pressings, approve the test pressings, then go into production in Poland, then simply the covers, because we're talking quite large numbers. And we wouldn't want to ship the weight of vinyl. So just simply all the covers were, were driven by lorry from Poland to me in France whereby I sat down and for 24 hours just signed everything. <laughs> Repackaged them onto the lorry, who then drove back to Poland, where they were then sealed and compiled, uh, you know, the vinyl was yeah, sealed yeah. And, and then sealed, and then shipped to the UK to then distribute around Europe, and then also shipped to America to distribute around America. And the amazing thing is, is I didn't skip a beat. It was, it was out on May the 1st. There were no delays. There was, there was some ensuing delay with the postage because yeah. mail started getting quite radically affected because everyone was, you know, limited workers. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in the end, nothing got missed out. And the rest of the time, which is how it would be anyway, because I either live in New York or France, unless I'm, you know, unless I'm on site in the UK, uh, Doubtful that there'd be face-to-face -face interviews for promotion anyway. Yeah. Uh, so social media and that aspect has just helped the campaign continue, continue on seamlessly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, interviews over Zoom, for instance. Yeah. And did you, I mean, did you question about releasing, releasing no. the record during that time? Or did you just go, no, no it's just business as normal? The tour, of course, is, was delayed. Yep. The tour that would have announced, I mean, how many times have I been delayed now? Three twice it was the tour was scheduled to happen on may the 1st onwards also right. to support the album yeah and then we delayed until september then we now are delayed until march april 2021 and just today i did a round robin with the promoters to get their feel from yeah. their end how safe are we for march and april and uh, we're going to pencil back updates but not pull the trigger on them until we have yeah. more more of an idea must be frustrating for you must be really well, frustrating. I mean, thank goodness i did go ahead and uh release you know normally a musician's a touring musician's earning is primarily based on their gigs 
yeah. merchandise that they hope to sell at a show. All of that's been nixed. Now, um, the Musicians' Union has offered up a, a, a certain amount of money, you know, a, a, a small percentage of what one might earn, but yeah. nevertheless, a bit of aid to people who can prove that they've lost income. I can't say that I've lost income because my tour hasn't been cancelled, it's been mm. delayed. Nevertheless, that's a whole chunk of, a, you know, excitement and promotion that would have played into, you know, especially as an independent artist, I don't have a record label, I do everything myself. I have to earn money to make music, basically, and make music to earn money, you know. Yeah. I'm in no way solvent enough to hang my hat up yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just think I was never going to delay the, the artistry of the album release anyway, because why, you know, we might because be... Because it's there, yeah. We're yeah. in the coronavirus, but we can all listen to music. And it, yeah, I yeah. think it worked to my benefit, because yeah. whereas most people's lives are very frenetic, and you can maybe snap, maybe on the drive to work or on your headphones on the underground, you can listen to an album. But the, the actually, because everyone was kind of prisoner of their own home, it actually helped this album, which is a 20-track double album, yeah. that you actually had the luxury of sitting down and spending an hour and a half listening to a piece of work. If, I, if we go back to when you were kind of at the height of your fame, I guess, with Transvision Vamp, you were a very kind of provocative character. Now, I, I, I was just looking around the other day when I, when I knew I was going to be talking to you. I kind of stumbled across this thing on, on going live, which you may or may not oh, remember. Yeah. And basically you revealed that you, yeah. you didn't wear knickers under things. Come and take the weight off your slingbacks, Wendy, and sit down. Look, before you sit down, though, we just... Oh, no, why are you covering up your dress? Come and stand here. Come and, let's have a quick twirl now. Absolutely gorgeous. Thank you. It's handy that your knickers match, isn't it? <laughs> I think they're actually sewn into it, fortunately. Oh, are they? Do, do, you, do all your knickers match your frocks? Well, no, I don't usually wear them. I wasn't that I hadn't... The little bodysuit that I was wearing had yeah. inbuilt panties. Yes. It wasn't that I was just on TV. <laughs> no. <laughs> but oh, I got the impression that you were... That wasn't an affectation. I mean, that was just Wendy James being Wendy James because you kind of have a a very strong sense of self-belief, if that's the right words. Yes, I'm, and also, especially when I was younger, didn't necessarily have an edit, edit button. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> so just like any teenager, you kind of just say what's on your mind. Do you look back at things like that and some of the other things you said and think, well, shouldn't have said that? Or, or is no. it just water under the bridge? And Well, I mean, I don't really spend a lot of time looking backwards anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> journalists ask me about specific things. I'm definitely a forward-looking kind of person, and I certainly live in the now rather than in the past. But I, I don't have any regrets. I know the, the one that everyone tries to hang on me is the fact that I said I was going to win an Oscar. I bet Pierce <laughs> Morgan I was going to win an Oscar. Well, you know, who knows? Maybe I still am. Yeah, there's time left. Um, I was never specifically what kind of Oscar. It could be best music. It might be, you know, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm not trying to win an Oscar. Uh, but yeah, I don't have any regrets. No. That, I mean, being kind of, I suppose, outspoken is probably the word to put it. Certainly gave you notoriety at, at that time. Mm. 
Um, I guess at that time, though, you're talking about, I don't know, someone getting upset and writing to points of view, for example. You know, a strongly word letter is, is about as, as, as bad as it got. But Well, I it, mean, if you're fucking off Middle England, who gives a shit? Oh, not Middle England, but middle-aged people. If you're a teenager, you really don't care if your mum's pissed off, do you? No, 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 absolutely. Do you think if social media had been around then... Oh, my God. <laughs> do, you, do you think that would have altered the way you were? Oh, no, but it would have made sure that we were even more successful, for, for sure. Because in, we, in what sense? Because uh, you had, we, I mean, we all had to queue up and buy the NME or order our record from the record store. Whereas now, can you imagine if, if, if one was a scan, like a Miley Cyrus? Yeah. And you were prone to scandal and outrage. <laughs> <laughs> um, then the worldwide phenomenon of selling music would pick up on that for sure and no doubt a, a record label would back it to the hilt and you'd become very very successful yeah well that's what, what, what I, I wondered about this actually because well towards the end of transvision vamp so you recorded the third album mm -hmm. and then it wasn't given a release in the uk no well, why that, why that, was that anyway that was a ridiculous own goal and vanity on mca's part uk yeah. Because the album then went on to be the best-selling album in America for us. Right. And, but the, the managing director at that time had decided, he decided that we didn't sound the way we were meant to sound. And I suppose by that, you know, record labels like formulas, right? Right. And on the whole, lazy, lazy pop stars do too. You know, you write one hit song and then for the rest of your life, you're trying to write that song again. Yeah, yeah. And you can, as you said, kindly said earlier... I don't have any such ambition <laughs> to keep repeating myself. But so the managing director at that time, I mean, I can't remember word for word any longer, but he seemed to think we weren't sounding the way we were meant to sound, which is a strange decision for him to make. Because if you're really um, supporting your artist, then you would have them progress. I, I really think you can only actually, you can only, if you're going to be Bob Dylan or the Rolling Stones, you have to, you know, offer something new relatively yeah. Yeah. It seems odd because every every single band evolves and has to evolve. And I actually, I mean, you listen back to that album, the third album now, it was a lot more soulful, perhaps, than the, than the first two. And I thought, yeah. I, I agree, I thought it was probably your best record. Uh, I mean, If Looks Could Kill is my favourite Transvision Vamp song. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, I did an interesting thing the other night uh, with Tim Burgess. He has a thing on Twitter called Tim's Listening Party. Yes, I know it, yeah. And um, we did Velveteen. I, I hadn't listened to Velveteen for a very, very long time. And it, I was surprised at how great it sounded. And that, that was a bit of an eye-opener because, you know, in my mind, it's off in the past. I, yeah. play baby, I play Baby, I Don't Care. I play I Want Your Love. But I don't sit down listening to Transmission Vamp records. Yeah. And I, I was, it was very exciting. So uh, I might revisit some more of that. Sorry. Going back to the social media thing, with, with, if, if you think that, um, you know, that would have helped you at that time, do you think even that fans would have got, well, they would have got behind or, on, on the record labels back almost and pushed for the release of that record in the UK? Could you have seen that happening or was it, was it literally black and white on, on MCA's part and they, you know? Well, that's, a, that's I mean... I don't think MCA would have had that amount of um, 
if they were in this day and age, would they have had that much power? Mm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I must clarify, it doesn't matter. You know, there's social media out there for everyone to use. We all know how to use what's, what's I mean, uh, Instagram and Zoom. Yeah. So anyone can um, do this stuff. You don't get famous without, well, you don't get to be very successful also without the backing of a coordinated campaign of press, radio, you know, the radio has to pick up on you. It's radio is still really important. Yeah. Um, and for that to happen, there's no way around it. You can't just message um, Lauren Laverne. You have to have people going in there and promoting you to her. Mm. And so that's what record companies are useful for now. Even if they're simply the conduit to um, hiring outside independent PR and so on. But with that, I've noticed just on the release of Queen High Straight, because I did hire on a couple of people to do the press and radio for me, as they were pro- promote, uh, proposing to me their, in a, they wish in a million years budget for what they wanted to spend, which was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but written into that budget was so much social media. Right. You know, like prom- online marketing, yep. video content, they yep. call it creative content. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, but then I don't know. Yeah, back in Transvision Ramp, we used to spend, or MCA, well, which was us in the end, we used to spend a lot of money on videos. Yeah. But certainly now you need to feed the beast more regularly. Mm-hmm. Or do you? Because I've been wondering that, you know, I've basically been doing social media every day since May the 1st and yeah. prior to that in the run up. And maybe there's also an advantage to backing off so it becomes more special when one does post. Mm-hmm. It's not just a litany of, you know, I think maybe there's, there's overkill as well. I think you have to balance it. What, what is your kind of relationship with social media like nowadays? Do you, I mean, do you like it as a person? Obviously you're using it there for, a, for promotional purposes, but do you like it as a person? Do you... Is it something? Yeah, you... I mean, I'm I'm not the most sociable person in the world. Some people are. Some people, COVID was a nightmare for them because they thrive on being around people. Mm-hmm. I'm the polar opposite, and so uh, I'm one of those people that social media gives me the ability to be friends with people without ever having to see them. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very comfortable just saying hi and clicking like. And that's my, <laughs> that's my obligation done. Do you remember MySpace? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, MySpace was really, in that period, before the heavy, fast incoming of Instagram, MySpace was really useful um, and, and enjoyable because I, I actually managed to put a whole European gigging tour together just by seeing who the cool promoters were and who, what the cool clubs were in Belgium and in Italy and just messaging them saying, Hey, obviously I have a reputation. So that helps me. Um, I was able to connect a lot of dots through MySpace, and, um, same thing now, you know, you can look up anybody on Facebook, give them a message. It's just a, As we continue to talk about social media and the role it plays in her life and career, 
The outspoken Wendy James that many people knew and loved from her Transvision vamp days came to the fore. She told me that she wants to curtail her personal use of Twitter because she's become rather addicted to American political news. Generally, most mornings I wake up and I check my bloody Twitter feed for what that moron evil fascist has been up to. Um, and but I've just re- in the past few weeks I've sp- spoken to a couple of my friends, and who are also politically aware, and I've just said I'm uh, it's time to I can't because you just don't. I really thought Trump would be stopped earlier on, mm-hmm. and he hasn't been. In fact, the mm-hmm. opposite. He's been aided and abetted, and and there is that thirty five percent chunk of America that is religious about him. And they're the kind of people that burn books, you know, and stone you, lynch you. And it's really, really disturbing. And I won't bore you. I'm sure you'll cut this bit out. But, you know, I'm a great fan of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the Supreme Court Justice who died over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And she fought for women's rights and civil rights, black rights, human rights, on every single court case that she um, presided over. And the fact that she's going to now be replaced by... uh, um, a, a woman who is self-described as belonging to a Catholic sect and she will do what's in her power to overturn Roe Ro versus Wade and ban abortion in America in the year 2021. You know, um, I don't know where you go, go with that. Uh, I mean, as a woman, I defy any person to have any say over any aspect of my body. That's it. So I can't imagine living in a land where you don't you don't have the right to um choose what you need for your life. Yeah. Outrageous. I mean, one does need to keep an eye on the ball because, of course, it's happening to all of us. We are all citizens of the world. And you do need to keep an eye on this because mm. even though you might think it doesn't impact you, it does down the road. It does when you realize that you're not able to get an abortion in Durham. At some point, you'll be able to trace that back to a ideology that was born you know anyway so i'm gonna watch more movies and read less twitter (laughs) good for you (laughs) what's what's your impression of um sort of digital overall and and i guess the reason i asked that is um i know when we were talking about setting up this podcast you said you don't use chrome you don't use google chrome i don't yeah i don't like i wondered if that was is that is that a a privacy issue or is it just you don't like google chrome (laughs) I mean, I, I use Safari. I'm on a Mac. I use mm-hmm. Safari as my search engine. And you can send me an invite to Zoom. And I just need to keep it simple. Yeah. Chrome, even Firefox. I use yeah. Firefox when, uh, when Safari is fucking up. Um, <laughs> but Chrome, I don't... There was something about it that warded me off. I, Google, obviously, is great. Mm-hmm. But I don't like the way suddenly things I've been looking at on the internet start coming back to me as adverts even if I've clicked all my privacies. And so that annoys me. And I just don't want Chrome to, I mean, they're all, it's always so benign, like let's coordinate all of your contacts and where you are and what you're doing and to ease your, your quality of service. But um, no, I don't want you to know every aspect of my life because of course it's being sold. We know that data is sold or, or, and, or at least it's being, like I say, shoved into an algorithm to send yeah. me back adverts to buy garbage 
I think that a lot of people are starting to think along those lines now, wanting to be more private, have tighter security, not have your internet browser tracking every single thing and everywhere you go. I mean, all of this uproar in the UK and I guess a bit in America and Europe about 5G. Oh, we don't want them tracing us. The fuck do you think they've been doing for the last 10 years? (laughs) You know, the minute you turn on, the only way for no one to trace you is to have no credit cards and no cell phone. And no paperwork, pay your electricity bill in, you know, uh, cash over the counter. It's ridiculous dumbness to think that your cell phone isn't telling, you know, they, they can find criminals just by what do they call it? Triangulating three signals. You know, they know where you already are, honey. Wendy's new record, Queen High Straight, was released on the 1st of May, at a time when the media and the world in general was in turmoil. But social media enabled her to develop relationships with her fans that worked both ways, in promoting the record and in enabling Wendy to get feedback that she could then use. The reviews started coming in and social media was really helpful with that. And even to the extent that um, the fans all, all started coming back with their there are many tracks to choose from, of course. They all started coming back saying, I like track A, I like yeah, track yeah. And so I even turned it over to them. Okay, guys, well, you know, let's have a poll on my website and you choose what's going to be the next single. And which was really, because I, I know what my favourites are. Mm-hmm. And they didn't pick those. <laughs> <laughs> How annoying. <laughs> um, no, because I'm going to get that. I'm going to do it as a single anyway for later. <laughs> But they chose two that it's just really interesting to hear it through their ears, what they're picking up on. Obviously, I've listened to this a few times. I think it's a fantastic piece of work. The ones that stand out to me are are the more punky style uh, tracks like Perilous Beauty and um, Impression and Normalcy, those sorts of tracks. But that's, that's, I guess that's my musical taste, maybe. But yeah. what, what were the sort of ones that they, uh, the, your fans were picking up? Well, the, the, two, the two cuts that they chose were um, Marlene and Fleur, yep. which is track six, yep. and Kill Some Time Blues, track 20, Okay, which is a big girl group sounding 60s anthem, you know, yeah, yeah. Like Ronettes or something. Yep. And Marlene and Fleur, uh, the way they were here, the way my fans were hearing it, I think, this is a charming, almost Brit-pop pop song. But the way I'd written it was, um, I, I, I wrote it with uh, the Diary of Anne Frank. Okay. In, and, you know, the innocence of, I, I, ima- I imagined my characters in this song to be two um, young teen Je- uh, Jewish German girls, not quite understand, it's all very serious, not quite, <laughs> not quite understanding the heaviness of when the Jews were put into um, their ghetto right. before it escalated and they were shipped out to be killed. Okay. And so just t- still two teenage girls, Marlene and Fleur, 
still, you know, wanting to look pretty for boys and have fun. But at the same time, the backdrop of that is um, fascism is uh, ghettoizing them. So that's how I wrote it. And, the, <laughs> and the, the sounds of that song, I thought, were very Oompa Loompa German folk ballad. But the way my fans hear it is as a Britpop ballad. Okay. Which is so fascinating, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's absolutely. why, really, as an artist, you should never really force your view of what the lyrics mean or what the song was meant to do. Yeah. Just like reading a book, everybody takes their version. You know, when you're reading a book, you have your mind's view of what the characters look like. Always very strange when a movie gets made and with a totally different impression of the character. So I think just let, let, let people be free with the songs themselves. I mean, the, the album itself, the thing that struck me when I listened to it the first time was the the different styles of music on it. And, and it almost, the first three tracks are almost so different to one another. It just gives you a real flavour of what the whole album is about. Because you, you wrote and produced and mixed this all yourself, didn't you? Well, I, I mean, I'm mixed. When I record, I'm recording with a recording engineer. Yeah, yeah. An expert. And when I mix, the same. So yeah. it's me who's um, making the creative decisions. But I'm aided, obviously, by very, very talented people. How, how, is that, how is that process of recording and publishing and promoting a record changed because of what's happened in the last sort of 20 years? If you think back to sort of Transvision Vamp, there was none of that, right? Where there was no social media, the internet was... It was there, but it was very sort of minor. And now everything's about it. So how has it changed it in, in when it comes to actually making a record and promoting oh, it? Oh, well, making it hasn't... Well, of course, there's digital aspects to recording now. We record in Pro Tools. We play live, but we, we record digitally yeah. for the most part. Um, so uh, that makes... I mean, if you really want to strip it down, then that makes editing very much easier. Because in the old days, you used to have to splice tape and stick it back together. And, and now all you do is move something on the screen. So that's, uh, uh, and anyway, it's much quicker. And I agree there is a, there is a lovely quality to recording on tape. But you, there are ways to get this. So digital has definitely helped, in my opinion, the recording business yep. of, of making music. Um, two different ways of looking at the digital from the promotion side. Back in the days of Transvision Vamp, one would, let's just talk about the UK. You had one central TV show, Tog the Pops. You had a couple of central magazines, NME Sounds, Melody Maker. And, it, and, and you had Radio One. If you got playlisted on Radio One, got a shot on Top of the Pops and a cover of NME, you're pretty much there. Mm -hmm. that's, how, that's how far reaching these avenues were. So in some ways, that's far better because uh, as much as great, it's great that digital is this wonderful democracy. Anyone can put their song up on SoundCloud. And I quite agree. Steve Jobs and um, before that, uh, Napster, they really un undervalued, no, devalued the value of music by yeah. making everything just 99 cents a track, no matter how, you know, whether it's, um, the Rolling Stones, or whether it's some bloke who's pissed in the pub one night. And I agree, I agree. And, you know, that his theory was the best will, you know, rise to the top. It's a meritocracy, so on and so on. But it has undervalued that. And I, obviously, I come from an 
a period where the fascinate and I was trying to relive this with Queen High Strait, the luxurious, tactile fascination with opening a double gatefold vinyl, smelling the cardboard, looking at the liner notes, reading all the technical aspects, many meant much more real estate for photographs and artwork. It's, uh, and it's somehow, and then you put a price on it that, you know, sets a value for three and a half years worth of work. And if you think about it, you, the individual, yeah. you're, you're paying me 45 quid for three and a half years worth of work. That's pretty low wage. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you have to sell quite a few to make those three and a half years back. And I can't think of anyone else that's mad in, in, in any industry who'd be mad enough to say, yeah, I'll do it for three and a half years and give me 45 quid. That's fine. <laughs> So, um, Steve, but anyway, he, he, or the digital world minimized value to, there was, I mean, it's not, I don't, I don't know. I don't really keep in touch, but I charge for my downloads, but there was yeah. definitely a spate where people were of the, uh, mentality that you should give it all away for free. And I don't see why any work, you know, as a loss leader, perhaps they call it, mm. but, um, I don't, I'm not giving any of my, no, you give me your work. You know, when I go into a restaurant, can I eat for free? When I want to buy a dress, can I have it for free? Mm. No. So uh, I've gone off track again. But so what I'm trying to say that in some ways it was very great in the 90s that there was just Top of the Pops and Enemy and Radio One and boom, you've got a hit. On the Conversely, doing what I've done this year, can you imagine if it was in the middle of a, a, a pandemic, it wouldn't have been possible to do all those interviews because they would have had to be done, conducted with a tape recorder face to face. Yeah. Or possibly a, a cranky old telephone call. But do you find yourself having to do more of it now? Because, like you say, it's so fragmented. The media is just all over the place. Do you find yourself having to be on constant Zoom calls, for example? Well, no, no much more than uh, uh, at any other time. If, if you've got a product that people are interested in, then you're going to get inundated for the length of promotion. Yeah. With everyone asking, and then it's up to the press officer to um, narrow the field down to what she or he thinks is strategically appropriate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I did do that for the first few months, and um, but then you know, then when we realised we wouldn't be touring in September, I had to lay the guys off. I've had to furlough them, <laughs> and with the hope that we'd pick it up again in in January, February of two thousand and twenty-one. So it's just. I say it's a blessing to have digital. At the end of the day, it's a blessing, yeah. Yeah. I guess it helps you, it helps more people discover your music. For, for example, people listening to this can now go out and stream your album and listen to it and get it like that. Well, I, At the and, same and, time, you're not getting the reward from that, really, are you? Because Well, the, I am if, you, if, you, if we heavily promote my web store, which is the wendyjames.com forward slash store, where... I ship worldwide and whatever your fancy is, you can buy it and it will be with you within a matter of days or sometimes weeks. So, <laughs> Perfect promotion. I've seen you promoting um, a t-shirt as well that Kurt Cobain wore. Kurt Cobain one, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that's a gift of digital, right? Because for years yeah. I've been hearing, hey, Wendy, you know Kurt Cobain used to be really into your band and he wore your t-shirts all the time. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, well, I'd need to see a picture of that. And then finally with the advent of, Somebody sent me a gif of Kurt walking on stage wearing it. 
And then I realized, okay, we can do something with this. It's a, yeah. one of Transvision Ramp's most classic t-shirts anyway. Yeah. And the more and the more I delved into it, it turns out that my, my mer- our Transvision Ramp's merchandising company made different iterations of it for each part of the world when we were doing a world tour. So Kurt's, okay. one, Kurt's one, the one that I have on sale, is the US tour from 1991. And um, he, he wears it, so I, it was easy for me to think of calling it the Kurt shirt, because it rhymes. <laughs> um, and what it, so that's, that's another great thing, because otherwise we would have, I don't know, you'd have to find somebody that had a photo of it. Yeah, but, absolutely. Even, even things like, for example, um, I know your first album, is quite difficult to find now it's but you can find it if you go onto like youtube you can find it on there and you can download it and listen to it so um, that, that requires me i mean there's just oh, that requires me getting in touch with geffen records and yeah. I, they had a big fire you know or mca did i don't even know if anyone's got the old multi-tracks that was multi-track recording it's you know i i wrote to elvis's manager and i said have you got any, any copies? You know, have you got the masters? Yeah, yeah. You know, he, even he doesn't, he owns the publishing, but he doesn't own the master. Geffen owns the master. So you'd need to go to them and maybe they'll get round to it, but I suspect that they've lost, they, they've lost the masters. In which case it is things like someone having uploaded it to, to YouTube at some stage, which yeah. at least it's, it's kept there, you know, in the meantime, you know. Yeah, you can do, you can take a vinyl record and digitize it, mm. obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, but I don't have a copy of it. <laughs> no, it's such a shame, isn't it? Yeah. Your own work. And also, I mean, uh, I probably Geffen Records would tell me to cease and desist because even yeah. though I'm the singer, um, I have no rights over it. Queen High Straight is a pretty diverse piece of work. Some of it is gentle and thoughtful, while other tracks retain the punky edge that Transvision Vamp was famous for. Wendy grew up listening to many of those punk artists and used to hang around with Joe Strummer of The Clash in the early days of her career. I asked her who she was influenced by most in those early days and where she now sees herself. New York New Wave, uh, which would be um, television, Richard Hell and the Voidoids, Talking Heads, Mm. Ramones, Blondie, uh, The Velvet Underground, which is obviously an (laughs) enormously important American band, and The Stooges. Uh, and some good, you know, the undertones and the pistols and so on. That, as an English person, I or as a British person, I grew up, you know, obviously knew British punk fairly early on because who could avoid yeah. sex pistols, even if you're nine? But then as my musical adventurism and investigation naturally took hold, then I, I arrived in the comfort zone of kind of New York, new wave rather than British punk. Okay. And really, ultimately, Lou Reed whether it's the Velvets or him as a solo artist and the Stooges and in there. And every, so everything that would go between those two, because Lou Reed writes really amazing ballads, mm-hmm. but also tremendous filth. And so somewhere in there is me. <laughs> a massive thank you to Wendy for giving me some of her time. You can find Queen High Straight and all of her music at thewendyjames.com or look her up on Twitter or Instagram. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please do leave a review as this helps others discover the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>